And let's give a warm welcome to the host of The H Spot, David Hirschkopf. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we have our treat today. On with me is Bob Marcucci, who I met when he was principal of Glenwood Elementary, where three of my kids have gone. You know, he came up through the public school system here in San Rafael and went to college here in the Bay Area and then spent nine years teaching elementary school and has been principal at two different elementary schools, principal at the local middle school here, Davidson and now runs the business side of the entire school district. So he is an educational expert and a hell of a nice guy who also has some musical talents. So thanks for joining us today, Bob. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. I appreciate wanting to talk to me. Not everybody <laughs> wants to talk to me, so <laughs> appreciate that. Well, you know, people that don't have kids or haven't been involved with education may not think about it much, but if you have three kids, you certainly think about education quite a bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've got three great kids too. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. So coming up, like, what was your childhood like? And like, was there something in your childhood that you look back and say, wow, that's what tipped me towards going into education or, or I could see like where that was something in my personality or something that happened to me or some piece of luck or how did it go? Yeah. You know, when I think back to my childhood, I think what was really formative for me was that my dad was the fire chief in San Rafael for probably about 40 years. And so I grew up with him being the fire chief of San Rafael. My uncle was a battalion chief in Ross Valley. My grandfather, Nello Marcucci, was the fire chief, police chief, I think for a time, and building inspector in San Anselmo. And so I think I just grew up with this idea that being a civil servant is really important. So I think in my family, it was always this idea that you give back to your community, you get involved in your community, you try to make the place where you live better. And that was always in the back of my mind. And I think, you know, at some point in my college years, I sort of realized that that was true of me too, because I was always, you know, I was a pretty good kid and always wanted to be a helper. And so, yeah, I, I think it was really that influence of being a civil servant and hearing my dad talk about it all the time at the dinner table or, you know, what was going on with the city council and, you know, how he was changing the fire service to be more of a servant of the community. It really had an effect on me. So if your house caught on fire at the same time as someone else's house, do you think you had an edge? <laughs> like, you know, did you have the in on getting the fire put out? You know, I don't, luckily that never happened, but you know, but I would hope that he might siphon off a couple of guys to go take care of our house, but you know, while he got the other one taken care of. But what some great memories I have growing up was my dad being at home and there was a fire radio that was always on. It was sitting, you know, wherever he sat on the couch to watch the 49er game or whatever. This radio was on and I would hear the calls coming in all day long. Once in a while, he'd hear a call and he'd say, you know, Bobby, get your shoes on. We're going. And I would jump in the fire chief's car with him and we would go and tag along and watch him do his thing. So I think that was probably more for I was just excited. Right. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, especially but, for a kid. Yeah. You know. But but I think it was pretty formative to kind of see him in action that way. 
But why not be a fireman also or fire person as opposed to teaching? I like to think that I still put out a lot of fires. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, um, in terms of frequency, probably a lot more. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it was, but my dad used to always say, you know, be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, but don't be a fireman. And I always thought that was kind of funny. And, you know, I don't know, in his head, he, he had some grander ideas for me or what I was going to be doing. But I think I definitely know that both my parents are proud that I do what I do now and that I'm involved in education. There was always this idea that for some reason that wasn't for me. So I just wanted it. <laughs> and you definitely hear a lot of parents that say, you know, don't go into my profession because, you know, maybe that right. stage of their career where like, it's not quite as exciting as it was, or, or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You always want something better for your kids, right? Even if yeah. what you have is really good. So yeah. Cause you want better than really good. You want, you know, I don't know what that is, but you know, I was going to ask you, but I think I know the answer now you've always been in public education. I didn't know if you ever thought about, you know, going to private education and sort of like what your thoughts are one versus the other. I mean, it sounds like you want to give back as much as possible and working with, you know, the broader community is a better way of doing that would be my guess. But what are your thoughts on like private education versus public? Yeah, that's, that's a tough question because I have very mixed feelings about it. I mean, on the one hand, I will say I am a stout, I mean, I'm pretty militant about public education and the thought has never even crossed my mind for a second as to whether I would leave, you know, public education and, and do something for the private. Definitely all the choices that my wife and I make for our own family. I wish everyone would put as much time and energy into our public school system as some of our families do into the private. Yet at the same time, I also know and respect every family to make the decision that is best for them, whether that's a comfort level thing, whether that's something that they think their kid needs that they wouldn't be getting somewhere else. I mean, all those decisions should rest with the family. So I sort of have like a duality about it. I don't judge people for making those decisions and going private, but at the same time, I feel very strongly for myself and for my family that we're public school people. Yeah. I mean, as you know, we've done both and it's sort of like, I've never read, read things that really analyze it very succinctly. And even at the stage we're at, it's almost like a, a comfort zone. Like you said, you go to private school, it, the facilities are nicer, the class sizes are smaller, there's more counselors and ancillary kind of like staffing and, and communication and all that. But at the end of the day, like, do they really get that much better in education? It's hard to say because it's so much dependent on the kid and how much they're putting into whatever school they're at. And there are bad teachers at some private schools too. And certainly there's some at public and there's great teachers at both. And I don't know. It's, yeah. It is a tough question. And that's why I think it really comes down to every family. I mean, the thought that I keep coming back to is what would the world be like? Or let's just even say, what would Marin be like if everybody chose to come together and send their kids and their time and their resources into the public schools in Marin? What would that look like? And what would happen? And how would that bring our community together in ways that we can't even really imagine right now because we're sort of set in this stratification that that's just always been here. Right. That's what always keeps me. It's like that dream that I have of what would that be like and how, how would that feel? I think it would feel great, to be honest. 
But there must be communities where that does happen, where they can sort of look at at that data. Because I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, depending on the neighborhood of a public school, there's differing amounts of private money raised that supplement, you know, the education. And and so if all the families were in that public school, that amounts a lot larger and the parent volunteerism goes way up. And, you know, the amount of monies that some of these private schools raise outside of tuition is really amazing. And, you know, to have a school that starts off with less money and then not get any of the extra money and not get parents as involved, it's, it definitely hamstrings you a little bit, I would think. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you look at education more broadly, like, what do you think the challenges are that, you know, keep schools and teachers and principals from delivering better education than is being delivered now? I mean, we could probably talk for four hours. (laughs) No, you'll have 10 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. I mean, one of the things that really comes to my mind is there's this cyclical loop that happens where schools are, especially public schools, are told you must meet these measurements in order to be considered good. And so schools align themselves to trying to do the best that they can do to meet those measurements. And then the message we get is, well, now you're teaching to the test and you're not being creative enough and there's not enough project-based learning and you're too focused on basic skills. But yet, how are we judged in the newspaper every year? They publish our test scores, right? And everybody says, oh, that's a good school and that's a bad school. Most people don't really dig in to get the whole thing, right? To understand the whole dynamics of a school and all those things that a school has that add value that you can't quantify. I mean, like diversity, right? The diversity at a school like Davidson Middle School, you can't buy that kind of an education. You can't buy that experience, which I think is going to serve you so well in the real world, as opposed to a different environment where everybody's the same. There isn't that diversity of thought or culture or anything. So I think that's one of the barriers is how are schools judged? We do want to please so we're, we're going to try to do everything we can to make people feel like we're doing a good job. Right, right. I definitely see that. I mean, one thing that always strikes me is, I don't know what you think about this, but like, it seems like we're telling all the kids now to go to college. And it's like college is just like financially like breaking families. I mean, it's like so many careers, you know, being a business guy, so many people's jobs really don't require college. They might require some technical training, but it's almost like a sifting system to like, Okay, your rubber stamped is okay because you went to college. So, I mean, how do you feel about the message? I mean, do you feel like we're telling all kids to go to college? And do you feel like there should be a different message or a different system? Yeah, I think the message does need to be a little different. I think that we want all kids to have the option to go to college, right? If that's their path and that's what they've chosen. And I don't think anybody can argue that going to college would be a bad thing or wouldn't set you up for success. However, I know a lot of people that are very successful in jobs, doing things that you didn't need that. And I think we need to do a better job of providing sort of this wide array of paths and you know different pathways. And some of those are in the trades. And you know, I, I hate to see things like auto shop classes or career tech ed classes going away, which they're not, but they are sort of like this add-on. We provide those through grants and things like that, right? 
But they're certainly not favored, it doesn't seem like. They're not favored. And I think that's part of the messaging is we're not doing a good job of telling kids that whatever it is that you want to do, and here's an array of things, and you could be successful by being good at just about anything. Because I mean, I don't know if you agree, but like our decision-making is ruled by emotion more than facts and logic. The emotional message to parents, and I think to kids, and I, I don't know about schools, but you could say is they should go to a four-year college. And if they don't go to college, maybe they're not as good. And if they had to go to a community college, they're not as good as if they could go to a four-year. But it's like, logically, going to a trade school or some other education, if you're going to go into a trade, makes more sense. And if you don't have the money, it's so much more cost-effective to go to like a two-year and then transfer out or or sometimes just two years all you need. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's like killing an ant with a baseball bat. Like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense in, in so many cases. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think the schools are at fault with that messaging, but I also think it's society too has sort of determined that going to college is the pathway. I agree with you that junior college is a great option. And I think the messaging, at least, you know, when I was at Davidson, a lot of the messaging around that with our students that were in the AVID courses, or when we did college knowledge days, there was a lot of talk about College of Marin and all the different offerings it has and how great of an option that was. I think it's starting to change a little bit and people are starting to realize the the practicality of going to a two-year university. But the common thread though here, Dave, is it's education. Whether it's the traditional college route that I experienced or it's going to some trade school or learning how to, to do some sort of a craft or something. It's, it's still, it comes down to never stop learning, never stop educating yourself. On the other side of that education are going to be more opportunities. So that really is what needs to, the message needs to be. Right. So that lifelong learning mindset of sort of always pushing yourself. There's some common criticisms of education And I don't want to get you in trouble by asking any of these, but (laughs) so do you think that these are fair or not fair? I mean, and I think you touched on this one. Common core doesn't really allow for a lot of teacher flexibility. I don't think that's true. I mean, I think any great teacher can take just about any set of standards and have it come to life and have it be relevant and fun and interesting. And so the common core is just a set of standards. It's really all it is. And so I think you can be incredibly flexible while still, you know, shooting for those standards. So then what about teaching to the test? That must overlap with common core some, but how do you feel about that? I think it's a question of, again, like what I was talking about earlier about that's how we're measured is that test. I think it's just human nature to try to figure out how can I get my kids to do well on that test? Because that's going to tell us that we're successful. It's really teaching to the standards is what needs to be happening. And if you're teaching to the standards and you're getting there in a lot of different modalities and and you're using project-based learning, but you're also doing some direct instruction and sort of rote memorization, because there is a place for some of that. There's just things you just need to know, like math facts, right? It kind of helps you out in daily life. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I, I definitely think it can cross the line if you lose sight of the why and the what of whatever topic you're teaching. But it is a fair criticism in some cases. But I think just because we're adhering to the common core standards and we're trying to sort of 
standardize the approach at a certain school site, I think it often gets labeled as teaching to the test. Like if it's not Montessori, then it must be teaching to the test. I think with everything, there's spectrum, right? Right. And, And you said a good teacher will make it work also. But one of the big criticisms you do here, though, is like most teachers are pretty good, but you'll get some teachers here and there that they're definitely not very good. The criticism is that they're in a public school, especially they're really hard to get rid of. Is that fair? Is that true? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I think once a teacher gets tenured in a district, it becomes very, very difficult you know, to let them go. Essentially, we have two years. So you hire a new teacher and you need to make decisions about whether this is a teacher that you want to have in your district you know, for the next 25 years. You need to make that decision in the first two years. And it's not even a full two years. It's by March 15th of their second year. So it's essentially you have one and a half years to make that decision. And it's really important in our current system that you make the right decision because once they become tenured, unless you feel like this person is incredibly coachable, things usually don't drastically change. So yes, it's true. It's really difficult because of unions and we could talk about that. (laughs) We won't go down that path. I probably shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah, I would would Uh, take it down that path. It's almost like you should have a special school for the new teachers with like three principals who are really good at sussing out talent, you know, because as a person who's managed a lot of people, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be good in 10, 15, 20 years. I realized pretty quickly when I was at Davidson that that's not a strength of mine. I think I look for the good in people almost to a fault. Right. And I always want somebody to be coachable. And sometimes that's just not true. So I actually had my two assistant principals who I thought were better at it than I was. I had them take over the hiring at Davidson for probably about the last three years I was there. And those two assistant principals, Susan and Mari, they transformed that staff with the choices that they made. They hired some of the best teachers that I probably wouldn't have hired. You're going to sort of one of the goals of this whole podcast is sort of to people to identify their skill sets and focus on what they're good at. And it sounds like you did a great job. I'm also not a great hirer and I don't like firing people. And you got to be the nice guy who was more the dealing with people in a different way. Well, I was the guy that had to fire him. With- <laughs> oh, you had to fire him. <laughs> okay, you know, sorry. But in terms of <laughs> choosing people, yeah. I, I just don't think that's my strength. But when it comes time to do the dirty work, I think that is the role of the guy in charge, right? To- right. Yeah, they should do the actual face to face, you know, at least out of respect. And we always expect those meetings to go really badly. Right. But if managed well, I mean, most of the time they can go well because I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, but you're helping the person because if it's not a good fit, they're probably not feeling good about it either. So you're helping them move on to something that would be a better fit. Yeah, I've seen people be relieved. What I've learned over time is just to be honest, to say, look, this isn't working out. And I just think it would be better just be honest with somebody. And usually it ends up going okay. I've had very few super, super tough meetings like that. It seems to me though (laughs) that like, you know, one of the things that might've served you really well in your career is you're very likable. So, I mean, it seems like either you have great people skills or just your personality is such that you're likable. Do you think that's a big key to how you've done well? I think so. It comes down to like communication. 
I think that's a strength that I have. I think I'm a good communicator. I think I speak from the heart. I speak honestly. I don't BS people. And, you know, I'm honest with people, but I do it in a kind way. And I think people respond to that. And, you know, I don't think I realized when I became a principal how much I would be writing. I write communications all day, every day, right? And even in my new role, I'm finding that that's something that's needed in this role is somebody to communicate, get everybody to work, you know, pulling on the same rope. But I think just being comfortable writing and expressing myself in writing or in an email or in a newsletter or on a video, whatever it is, I think people need that in a leader, right? I mean, that's one of the things we look for in a president, isn't it? Somebody that can do that. Right. A vision, lay out a vision and communicate it. Absolutely. The other thing I would say is I didn't really realize this about myself until a few years ago, but because I've had a lot of people say that I'm a good listener and I would say, oh, okay, you know, what, I don't know, really know what that means, but. Well, you have a soft approach. You have a sort of likable listening approach. In fact, do you ever get mad and yell at people? Rarely. If I've boiled up to that point. Right. <laughs> um, I think it carries a lot of weight because I don't, it doesn't right. happen very often. Right. No, you don't seem like you're that kind of person, which is nice. I mean, you know, that sort of calm warmth, you know, I think affects people in a positive way. So I think it's lucky that you have that. How do you think if you had to put on your prognosticating cap, what will education be like in 50 years and how will it have changed? I think what we've seen happen in the last six to nine months is an indicator. I see things that we've done to respond to this pandemic and and all the remote learning that's happening. I think I see things that are going to probably last. Like this idea, I've I've had this debate with my wife about what does attendance even mean anymore? Right, right. Does that mean you have to be physically sitting in the desk? Can you attend school virtually? There may be some kids where that is what they need. And now we're at a place where we have the capability. Why wouldn't we be offering that in some way, right? I think school, and I say this with a great lament because I love the institution and the buildings of a school and the the actual physical place. You're like an author who likes the smell of the paper and the the feel of the typewriter keys. And yeah. Right, right. I, I (laughs) I do think there is something to human beings congregating with a singleness of purpose, right? So you're not looking forward to the reality of like augmented reality combining with artificial intelligence, combining with gamification, where we like (laughs) put on a helmet for school and like... Well, whether I'm looking forward to it or not, we're going to have to adapt. Our goal as education is to prepare people to be successful and happy in their lives and give back to the common good. And if that means that they have to put on a helmet and stream something into the port on the back of their neck, you know, then that's what it, then that's what it means, right? So I think we watch the same movies. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's obviously technology is an easy one, but I also think along with technology is the individualization of education and this idea of like one size fits all. There is a place for that because I think that's how you learn the common good and this idea that I might not like this, but I'm doing this because it's for the you know the rest of humanity or whatever. But 
I think we're going to see a lot more individualization of educational goals. And it's almost like everybody's going to end up having an IEP at some point, right? You know, I have ADD, but you know, a lot of people do, but like everyone has somewhere on a spectrum of distractibility spectrum, right? To be like, this person can't be distracted no matter what. And this person is always distracted. And then you got some people that have hyper-focus where they're distractible most of the time, but when they lock in, they're immovable. So it's like, everyone's on this whole spectrum with like emotional this and that. And so like, I totally agree with you, like customization and individualization are the future. And fortunately, the best way to do that technology will really make it affordable and possible, Mm -hmm. hopefully in combination with some sort of human interaction. I was going to say, yeah, it's like, how do we respect the spectrum, but at the same time, not lose this idea that we're all connected and and that's going to be the trick. Right. Because I mean, if the future is everyone sits alone all day long and with technology, that doesn't sound that enjoyable at some level. No, that's not what we're looking for. I mean, and I think that, you know, one of the reasons why I took this opportunity to move into this different role was because I, I had a hard time being the remote principal. You know, I think I did a great job of getting our school through, you know, last spring and getting us started up again. but. When this opportunity arose, it wasn't as grueling of a decision as I maybe have thought, because if I'm going to adapt to this new way of working, I might as well try something new at the same time. Right. Well, that's like one of those tipping points, like, you know, someone hates their job, but they never quit. And fortuitously, like their boss calls them an a-hole one day or something (laughs) and they quit. Then it's sort of like, wow, I should have done that years ago. So it's like good news, bad news. So if you could do it all again, if you had a mulligan in life, what would you do differently? Not much, not much at all, <laughs> to be honest with you. Great. You know, I think the one thing that I think about is, and as you know, Dave, I play a lot of music and I think I am my happiest when I'm creating. And sometimes I get that in my role, right? It's a different kind of creating. It's not necessarily a, a painting or 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 a piece of music or something like that. But I think if there's one thing I could change, it's that I would have maybe pursued that a little more. As a hobby or as a sideline or? I think I felt a lot of pressure earlier in my life, in my early to late 20s to kind of get on board with a career and sort of conform in that way. And the stability of that was something that seemed like that was what you do, right? That's you're a Marcucci, you're going to do, you know, that's what you're going to do. And so I sort of gave up on, you know, who knows where I would have ended up. And I don't mean in any kind of like famous musician way. I just mean, who knows where I would have ended up in life had I held on to that maybe a little longer, but that's what retirement's for, right? Exactly. Or, or, you know, (laughs) some people give it three years. Like if I don't make it in three years uh, where I can support myself, I'm done or or they become a music teacher and they can combine both or they run a music school, but there's a lot less of those around. So yeah, yeah. I think you've done good. You've done good, Bob. I appreciate that. <laughs> you made the Marcucci clan proud. That's, yeah, that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> well, look, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And more than that, I appreciate what you've done for my kids and so many other kids here in Northern California and Marin. There's lots of people listening from other places. So and that's what we're talking about. It's just north of San Francisco. I appreciate that, too. I've appreciated your family's support, too. So 
we do our little bit, but man, raising kids isn't always so easy. <laughs> no, they're actually human beings with their own thoughts and ideas. So that, you know, makes it a little bit tough. How dare they? Just do what you're told. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, take care. And hopefully I'll see you when this crazy pandemic actually ends. Sounds good, Dave. Appreciate it. Give it up for Dave Hirschkopf, everybody. You've been listening to The H-Spot on the Funnel Radio channel. Never miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe at the hspotpodcast.com.